0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is Nick's Nonfiction. I'm Nick Munez. Today on the program, we have got Steve Stockton's Strange Things in the Woods. It's a birthday edition. I'm turning 27 this year, a pretty ripe age to disappear. Planning on spending a lot of time in the woods this summer. Wendigo, do your worst. Steve starts his introduction. All my life I've been fascinated with the woods. While it's marvelous to be surrounded by nature, there is also at times a certain creep factor involved. As anyone who has spent a considerable amount of time in the great outdoors, I would tell you. There are some places in the woods that just don't feel right. Also by the same turn, there are weird things to be found in the woods, many of which truly defy any rational explanation my fellow academics these nerds who actually don't step foot in the woods they call it the oz factor the oz factor when everything goes quiet you better hit the bricks as a youth i grew up on a small town in east tennessee not far from knoxville while it was not considered deep woods by any stretch of the imagination we had several acres that were heavily wooded with old growth timber Blessed with an active imagination and a love for adventure, these woods were full of countless hours of time spent looking for anything weird or out of the ordinary. I sometimes saw strange things that defy explanation. It's a creepy episode today. My girlfriend asked me if I wanted to watch Doctor Strange. I said, no, I got stranger things to watch. Strange things and not a lot to work with here. Final quote. Due to my own experiences in the great outdoors, I also began talking to my family and friends, mostly older folks, and collecting stories of strange things they had encountered in the woods. This book is a culmination of those conversations. got yeah, authentic mountain slang. Yeah, up over that butte, another cut of jibs in a canyon, you can find a ginger story. Just holler if you get too scared. Some of these chilling stories... They leave you questioning whether you ever want to enter the woods again. (laughs) We'll be right back with the show. About the author Steve Stockton. Steve Stockton. He's got no Amazon. He was on Facebook. He's from Knoxville, Tennessee. Studied English uh, from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Now lives in Farmington, New Mexico. Steve is an author of Recontour Filmmaking, produces podcasts, musician, and a YouTube personality. Oh, I should probably try to grift off of his clout. He runs Missing Persons Mysteries Channel with a measly 250,000 subscribers. What's the recommended amount of dedicated wham I should have to serve? Teach me your ways. I don't give a fuck. What's a pirate's favorite YouTube genre? ASMR. <laughs> what did the werewolf say at the end of his YouTube video? Don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> Mr. Beast videos have really turned YouTube into PooTube. High effort. We'll be right back. Chapter 1 Strange Things in the Woods The Organ. today i didn't have a water bottle so i'm spitting into an old pepper shaker coarse ground black pepper signature select if i start sneezing you know why it's our quick hit stories instead of the usual five chapters we've got eight today a lot of quotes i grew up on a several hundred acre farm in jamestown tennessee near what is now big south fork national park My older brother Leonard and I were just kids, so this would have place to the event sometimes in the early 1930s. This guy's ancient. We were down by one of the creeks on our property about half a mile or so from our family's farmhouse. We lived in a very remote and rugged area of the Cumberland Plateau, and our nearest neighbor was several miles away. It was summertime, getting close to twilight, and we were cooling our feet in the creek. The day's chores were done, and it would be time for supper soon. Suddenly, off in the distance, we heard the strains of what sounded like an old-time church organ. The kind that required the organist to pump the pedals with their feet. You got Jack Sparrow's enemy, the octopus guy, playing the organ with his face. Usually in the woods, the telltale signs of complete silence. Shut up, dude. If you hear an organ in the middle of the woods, get the fuck out of there. Continuing... We immediately found this to be odd, because the nearest church was several miles away as the crow flies, and it would have been unusual for sound to travel such great distance even in the quiet of the country. Much to our amazement, the sound continued to grow louder and seemed to be moving up the holler we were heading in. Eventually, the sound was close enough that we could indeed tell it was an organ, and was playing a song, although neither of us recognized the tune. The sound became louder and louder, eventually seemed to pass right over the top of us, apparently coming from an invisible source, just above the treetops. That part gave me the chills. A flying organ? This is out of Scooby-Doo. The musical notes continued playing as the still unseen object continued up the creek and turned and went up across a bridge. The sound eventually faded until the distance, until we could no longer hear it. There were no roads nearby, the sky was clear and cloudless, yet we both distinctly heard the song as the organ approached, flew directly over us, again, I'm guessing it was just above the treetop level, and faded into the distance. There was nothing to see, it was only sound. Needless to say, we were spooked by the entire incident and beat a hastily path back to the house. Damn, what would you do? Leonard and I never told our parents, I guess that's a good start and only talked about it occasionally between ourselves. It was quite some time before we were brave enough to venture back to the area of the creek where we had been, but we had never heard the invisible organ flying again. To this day, I am at a loss for a logical explanation as to what we heard. I guess we'll never know. Let's go to chapter two. The giant snake. Swing about my penis. These like earthworms. They're in a lot of ancient culture lore. Dune. I should probably read that book because it's a book and all. How come that worm's mouth looks like a butthole? Sandy, that's not the worm. That's its tongue. <laughs> Dune, they called it the Hulud. That's supposed to translate to sand penis. That was a joke. It's like old man of the desert. So it's really in all of these cultures. This happened when I was a much younger man. I'd say 50 or more years ago. It was in the early spring and I was out squirrel hunting in the woods with my .22 rifle. I hadn't gotten many squirrels that day and observed that there wasn't anything stirring in the woods, not even birds. I thought that maybe something had all the woodland creatures spooked, maybe a bobcat. I shouldered my rifle and descended to make my way back to the house, figuring I just had to be content with the two or three squirrels I had bagged earlier. This guy had sex with three squirrels? <laughs> Bagging means something different in the city, Tex. (laughs) This guy's bagging squirrels. At one point I arrived at the creek, started following it back to the house, figured I still had a mile or so to go. I reached a place where it was shallow enough to ford. I don't know what that means, enough to (laughs) ford. I came upon a small clearing. I spied what I had thought was a log lying across a creek. Surprised at this good fortune, I knew if I could cross the creek here, it would save me a lot of walking. I was just about to step on the log to see if it would hold my weight when the log moved. What I thought was true, the log turned out to be the biggest snake I had ever seen. You haven't seen my cock. <laughs> Stunned, I watched as the snake's tail came into view as it slithered across the creek. Now, this was in East Tennessee. We don't have snakes as big as telephone poles. <laughs> I wish I could have gotten a look at the snake's head. But by the time I came to my senses, I realized I had better get out of there. No wonder the creatures of the forest were spooked as big as a snake looked. I was afraid it would try to eat me. I made it way back to my home and was met with disbelief when I told the tale of the giant snake, but I know what I saw. Years later, I saw a giant snake at a traveling carnival that was almost as big as the one as I saw. It was, I believe, some sort of articulated python from South America, The only thing I could figure out to explain was my sighting was that snakes I saw was an escape from another carnival. I never saw the giant snake again, but I was extremely careful out in that part of the woods from there on. Giant snakes. This is actually a problem in Florida. They find anacondas in the Everglades. (laughs) Because methed out dudes don't want their pets anymore. In Texas, I read about recently... They have a feral kangaroo problem. That's pretty damn epic. We're going to turn into the land down under. Kangaroos start hopping across the desert. Bro, pretty crazy story. What would you do if you came across a telephone pole-sized snake? (laughs) Worse yet, you're camping and you wake up and the thing is surrounding your tent. How the hell was an anaconda surviving the Tennessee winter? Maybe there's a paranormal aspect to this story. I don't know. What do you think? Carnipet or cryptid? Chapter 3. Disintegrating people. So we'll start to ramp up the quality of the strangeness as the stories go deeper. Disintegration. Spontaneous human combustion. These are hot hot topics around the strangeness community that's what i call my group of local kinksters the strangeness (laughs) commute quote this is the story of the weirdest thing i've ever encountered in the woods it was the summer after my freshman year of high school and my friends and i often went to park on lake exact location redacted at the original author's request The lakeside park backs up to another state park that has lots of hilly terrain covered with hiking trails. It had become kind of cloudy on this particular day, so my friend Jenny and I thought we might explore in the woods and maybe try some of the hiking trails. As we ventured into the woods, we veered off the trail and came across what I can only describe as a primitive campsite. Jenny and I poked around the campsite for a bit, growing bored, decided to venture further towards the lake. About a hundred yards from the campsite, we happened upon one of the scariest things I had ever seen in my life. There on the ground, in the woods, were two complete sets of human clothes. The man's outfit consisted of a light white tan windbreaker, a button-up shirt with a yellow checkered pattern, a white t-shirt, cat- this guy is fitted out, steezy garb he had a job interview view in the woods. There was even a belt in his pants. The socks were still in the bottom of his pant legs, don't care. The woman's ensemble was just as creepy, a pale blue windbreaker over a printed dress with tan-colored house, literally, they're wearing fancy clothes. (laughs) Excuse me, the pepper's getting to me. Furthermore, the right arm of the man's clothing overlapped the left arm of the woman's clothing, giving the appearance that the couple had laid down on the forest floor and had been holding hands. (laughs) Some Heaven's Gate shit. Now there were no bones or anything like that, and the clothing still appeared to be fairly new state, as if it hadn't been worn very longs. Longs. We prodded the clothes with a stick and heard what sounded like loose change or maybe car keys jingle in the pocket of the man's khakis. Suddenly, overcome by fear, Jenny began crying and said we needed to leave right now. I agreed. I was feeling totally scared and freaked out. It looked as if the couple had lain down and simply disappeared, leaving their clothing behind. By now, both of us were in tears. We ran the west of the way out of the woods. Wabbits. We debated over several days as to what we should do. Maybe call the cops or take another friend back and show them what we had found. Leave the rangers out of this. <laughs> You're going to get, like, manslaughter charges or accessory to finding a body. People got nothing to do. We scoured the local papers for weeks, but never turned up any information about a missing couple. In the end, we decided the best thing to do was keep it to ourselves and never go back into these woods. That's pretty spooky. <laughs> they made a pretty good point. Well, what are you supposed to do? Tell somebody? You're on a watch list now. The culprit. Like Jenny did, once you get the gut feeling, yeah, we're not supposed to be here, it's time to pack up and go. (laughs) Spontaneous human combustion. Look into it. Chapter 4. Another one. The Spirit Tree. I got this tree in my neighborhood. I meditate under it. I call it the Wisdom Tree. And I finally watched Lord of the Rings recently. They got that thing called the Ents. So some nerds think that, like, trees are alive. So let me drop some fan fiction. Smeagol, he was the hero. Me once. (laughs) Someone's got to keep the ring, right? He's the safest keeper. He just runs up in the mountains and looks at it. I don't know, everyone tries to act like they're going to destroy the ring. Smeagol is the best keeper. I don't really believe any of this. Let's get into the story. I had gone on a trip to the Sequoia Mountains in Verone, Tennessee to do some research for a film script I'd been hired to write. After I f- so this story is fake, <laughs> after I finished my research in the museum, I decided to stroll around the grounds for a bit and see what was outside. At one edge of the paved parking lot there was an Indian mound with the remains of many Native Americans. It's commemorated with a plaque and there were many Native American objects left on the mound as tribute items made from such things as bird feathers and deer sinew. I stood near the mound and contemplated these indigenous peoples and their fate. Afterwards, I decided to venture into the woods behind the mound, seemingly drawn to a particular area for some unknown reason. After a short walk, I found myself in a clearing with the strangest tree I had ever encountered. It was large, old, several feet around the trunk. I'm unsure what type of tree it was, but I think it may have been a beech tree. The tree was so massive so otherworldly looking, it seemed totally out of place among the pine and oak and elm. The area beneath the tree was devoid of any plant life, covered instead by a thin layer of leaves of dark, fertile ground so barren otherwise that it gave the appearance of having been swept clean. I knew right away that this was someone's power spot, as I could feel the energy. This tree was so huge, so old, and so magnificent that it seemed more like a Disney creation than an actual tree got some dank studies in the book i'm writing about if you hit a tree with an electrograph it shows like a an aura of power around it we can't see it with the human eye i stood at the power location and meditated for a few moments feeling the waves of energy when i abruptly felt a darker heavier presence as if i was being watched i suddenly was overcome with a mixture of fear and sadness i felt like i was an intruder and this was a sacred place even though i am one of (laughs) even though i'm one eighth native american (laughs) so that evil spirits will understand that i have affirmative action (laughs) i took a few pictures of the tree and then hurriedly left the area Once I got home, I looked at the digital pictures on my computer. I wasn't surprised to see what some call orbs or spirit lights in the photos. I visited the tree on more occasions since, but always end up feeling like I'm somewhere I don't belong and beat a hasty retreat in a few minutes. If you do this, please be reverent and respectful. There are protective spirits in these woods, and especially around this particular tree. If you visit it, you will immediately know what I'm speaking about. How come every TV sitcom, they have an episode where the character has to stop the town from tearing down a tree? Every American Dad, Fairly Odd parents the only shows I watch. Just kidding, I'm on, I'm on Futurama now, that's a funny show. I think they're missing a layer of the story. What if Urkel was being possessed by a Native American spirit? Urkel burns down the police station? Did I do that? <laughs> You get a studio laugh. <laughs> I don't know. Just like white women, how they turn into ghosts and then protect shitty real estate. Native American ghosts, they protect their wisdom trees. I swear to God, if you sit by some trees, you're going to get hit with ideas. But you could overstay or welcome. That Lord of the Rings shit, the hobbits that take care of the. It's all true. <laughs> Mother Nature's trying to kill us now because we're destroying ourselves. The trees have told me this. (laughs) I don't know, man. Native American spirits. I would fucking follow around white hikers if I was a Native American and just... Trying to make them go crazy. Chapter 5. Native American Spirits. So this chapter is about... Cigarettes, you got the yellow spirits, those are the most popular, you got the sky blue, second bestseller. <laughs> spirits. It was Thanksgiving weekend, and my parents and I had traveled to the family farm to spend the holiday with my grandparents and some of my aunts and uncles and their children. The farm was expansive and covered around 900 acres. In addition to many creeks and rivers, there was also many natural features such as caves and bluffs, where centuries ago the Native Americans hunted and lived. My mom and dad and I were the first to arrive, and I decided to go out exploring while waiting for my older cousins, Jerry and James. I considered walking down across the creek and mess around in one of my many livestock barns, but it had begun to spit snow. I decided to go in the other direction, down past the corn crib, and visit one of the Indian bluffs that dotted the property. I got a spit. I made my way back through the woods and down the steep bank above the bluff, carefully taking my time as the snow was starting to stick a bit. I finally arrived and went under the bluff and decided to build a small fire in an ancient fire pit to keep myself warm. I ventured a little ways into the woods, gathering dry twigs, pine cones, which built my little fire. On my way back into the cavern-like area under the bluff, I thought I heard voices in the distance. I assumed Jerry and James had arrived and would soon be joining me. I continued building my fire as planned, and as soon as a nice little blaze going on the fire pit where the Native American inhabitants centuries ago cooked their meals, every so often, I would hear the sound of muffled voices in the distance. Thinking nothing of it, I continued tending my small fire and looking around in the loose soil underneath the bluff, hoping to find a lost arrowhead or two. I kicked at something in the dirt, thinking it might be an arrowhead, but it turned out to be a bone. Just as I pulled the bone from the dirt, the voices became louder. I walked into the opening of the bluff, expected to see my cousins, and share my find with them. Looking this way and that, I could still hear the voices, but no one was in sight. At this point, the sound seemed to be coming from the top of the bluff. I decided to walk back up and see if my cousins were on the top, perhaps trying to find the way I had used to climb down. When I reached the top of the bluff, however, there was still no sign of my cousins. I could still hear the muffled voices, but they seemed to be coming from the top of the bluff instead of the top. At first, I was a little bit perplexed, but thought maybe Jerry and James had gone down the other side, and we had missed each other in the process. So they begin circling the entrance to the cave, he's still not finding anybody. What was going on? I immediately thought of the bone that I had found which I had stuck into my jacket pocket, It suddenly occurred to me that this might be human remains. It wasn't impossible, but to my knowledge, only one skeleton had been found in the cave years ago. The skeleton had been buried sitting up, suggesting the body had been that of a Native American chief. Under the bluff, I could still hear the muffled conversation. As I strained to listen, it began to sound more like English being spoken. This sent shivers up my spine. Bro, you got dead Native American chief bones in your pocket. Hurriedly, I placed the bone in the softest earth I could find and covered it well. (laughs) In my mind, I apologized to whomever or whatever I had disturbed. I had the growing feeling that I needed to leave this place as soon as possible, which I did as soon as I put out my fire. You probably should have, like, burnt the place to the ground. (laughs) I don't know. Is because they're dead the Indians get free real estate? We gotta make these Native Americans pay for it, just like us. <laughs> Trying to add some levity. When I got back to my grandparents' house, my cousin had just arrived and were still helping their parents carry food out of the car into the house. Jerry and James. I spent the rest of the evening pondering the events of the day, and the next day when my cousins wanted to go exploring, I refused to go anywhere near the bluff. I was a grown man before I ever ventured back under the bluff again. Although during those late occasions, I did not hear any voices. And I also took care not to disturb any areas that I thought might be sacred. Ooh. I think I just came up with a TV show. You're a realtor, and you hire a ghost to drive down property values. Noise in the woods? Fuck that. (laughs) For some reason... Wind is loud as fuck. It's just air. Why is it so loud? There's moments when the wind dies down and you could hear a hiker in an adjacent canyon breathing heavily. It's so weird. Your senses could be isolated one minute and the next it feels like you got the electric feelers from the giving tree. I don't know, bro. If you ever hear fucking Native American voices in the woods, leave. I did that be- video at the beginning of the year where I was over a Native American ritual site. I haven't experienced any hauntings yet. I'll let you know. When I dated this girl Nicole in Boston, she used to do Reiki on me. I think I got some fucking hexes on me still. We used to like, go around this old mansion. And I swear to God, one time we were coming out of the basement and I heard someone going into the basement on the other. I don't know, bro. Maybe I got some demons. Yeah, so burn some sage tonight, or smoke a spirit tobacco. (laughs) Chapter 6, The Pig. When I was just a little girl, we had an old sow that took sick, then wandered off into the woods and died. It wasn't like she was a pet or anything, so I soon forgot about her and thought nothing more of it. Years later, one of our chickens had escaped from the pen and was happily making her home in the woods surrounding our house. I'd catch a sight of her now and again, but any time I tried to catch her, she would run off into the bush and escape. I figured that since she was laying hen, she would probably nest somewhere in the woods and left her eggs somewhere out there. There wasn't a lot to do back in those days, so we had to have some fun. So she goes on her own Easter egg hunt in the woods. Well, on this particular day... Of playing find the eggs. I had ventured farther into the woods than usual. I could hear the hen clucking. And followed the sound winding its way. This way and that. I stepped through a row of mid-sized cedar trees. In a small clearing. And there was the old sow. I couldn't believe my eyes. She had gone missing at least two years before. But here she was on the ground in front of me. Whole. I couldn't believe she hadn't rotted away. I looked around until I found a small branch of a tree to poke her with. Believe it or not the old sow was hard as a rock not sure if she was mummified or petrified but she was solid as could be i wasn't brave enough to touch her with my bare hands but proceeded as round as i could without getting sick i often went back and observed to the pig on several instances through the years and she always looked the same no matter the season one day however when i entered the little clearing the pig was completely gone There was nothing left but a dark spot on the ground that perfectly reproduced her outline. I have no idea what happened to her, but my best guess would be that someone else found her and made her part of a sideshow somewhere. Probably made a pretty penny off of her, I imagine. That's the strangest thing I'd ever seen in the woods, and I'm almost 90 years old. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't witnessed it for myself. What? This is like uh, Charlotte's Web rated R. (laughs) the pig goes out into the woods and dies a perfectly preserved pig are you talking about my wife i don't know aside from the obvious questions why did nothing eat it why is it hard i got bigger how do we think that trees petrify only some trees petrify and create national parks but the other ones I don't know, you can miss me with all the cremation and burial rituals. I'm just going to find a, a cave. <laughs> and then when people find my bones, they think I'm a Native American. Chapter 7, final one, Evil in the Woods. Yeah, one of my neighbors, he goes outside at night and he Whistles. Are you trying to get a skinwalker attached to you? <laughs> That's like one of the basic Native American folklores. Never whistle after dark. And this motherfucker's doing his zippity doodah day. <laughs> Final chapter this is the weirdest concept. The creepiest stuff I ever found in the woods happened when I was a teenager. I'd only been driving a few years ahead and I had got an old 71 Chevrolet Impala. It was a roadboat. And a gas guzzler, for sure. But I loved to get around at night and drive by the moonlight. There was an abandoned subdivision track that I had found during my ramblings, and I decided to go back one night and check it out. There were no houses, only what seemed like miles of paved road that went further back into the hills. On this particular night, I found the... (laughs) That's always when the story starts. On this particular evening, I found the furthest extreme of the paved road blocked by a fallen tree. Feeling somewhat adventurous, I got out of my car with a flashlight to see if the tree could be moved. However, it was a beast of an old rotten oak and must have weighed close to a ton. There was no way I could move it by myself. Deciding that I wasn't finished enough exploring for the night, I decided to lock my car and go ahead on foot. I figured since the road was blocked, I was safe and there would be no one else in the area. Yeah. It's like the tree is probably cut with a chainsaw perfectly. You come across these back roads... That hillbillies are definitely fortifying, (laughs) you could tell. After about half a mile, the pavement stopped and continued on gravel leading up to a steep hill. I sallied forth, undaunted, happily stomping along the gravel, enjoying the noise it made as it crunched beneath my boots. At the top of the hill, the gravel ended as well, and now the road became nothing more than a rutted path through the high weeds and brayers. I was still feeling adventurous and decided to press on, determined to see how far I could go and where I'd eventually wind up. About half a mile along the footpath it curved sharply to the right. At the corner where it curved I was playing with my flashlight over the woods when the beam suddenly struck something out of the ordinary. On the slope of a short steep bank someone had fashioned a crude arrow shape out of some logs and branches of varying size. It looked too perfect to be random, so I was sure it was some kind of a trail marker. I debated for a couple minutes, then decided to abandon the path and see where the primitive trail led. No, 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 no. At the crest of the bank, where the arrow pointed, I found another narrow-built path, which led toward the woods. I forged ahead. The path twisted and turned a bit, but was leading uphill to the top of a ridge. When I arrived at the top, after a good half-hour of hiking, I thought I would perhaps be met with a vista overlooking the city or a nearby lake. Instead, what I found made my blood run cold. Where the ground leveled out, in a fairly large clearing, was a gigantic pentagram made from carefully arranged logs. I mean, this thing was huge. There was other logs set up outside the circle of the pentagram which reminded me of altars. There were also upside-down crosses planted at various spots. By now, I was actually sweating and shaking, jumping at every sound I heard and playing my flashlight over the trees. Why does he say that? Trying to catch sight of anyone hiding. (laughs) I caught a glimpse of something in the middle of a large pentagram and shined my light on it. For better luck, it turned out to be remains of some large bird. Perhaps even a duck or a goose which had been burned. I realized that whoever had done all this was serious about it and it was too intricate for some metalhead kids messing around in the woods. This was some sort of satanic cult type of group which meant to perform blood sacrifices. I decided it was high time to get out of there. <laughs> Started moving as fast as I dared back through the woods. After what seemed like hours, I finally arrived back at my car. Written in mud, across my windshield was a single word. Beware. Beware. I grabbed an old t-shirt out of the back seat and scrubbed it off as best as I could, jumped in my truck, and started the car as fast as it would start. Thankfully it did, and I'm sure I broke the speed limit all the way home. I've never shared my experience with anyone, and I never went exploring anywhere near the derelict subdivision or surrounding woods again. It still frightens me to this day to even think about what might have happened if I had shown up at the wrong night, or other people were there. I still have a sense of adventure, but learned some very plausible things. Never go exploring alone at night. Always let someone at home know where you're going and realize that there are some things that are better left alone. As the crudely written message on the car windshield stated, beware. Holy crap. Beware. South Fork, Colorado. It's one of the creepiest places on earth. It's an entire city... Where you have to be a mason to own property. All of the caves in this town are blocked off. There's fake houses for sale. Holy shit. I got to do a video there this summer. Like there are people who worship the dark lords. (laughs) I worked with a kid in a Starbucks whose family were satanists. Like real people actually. I don't want to talk to you if you're talking to the devil. (laughs) I don't know. I fucking got that creepy skinwalker hobo that was chirping my window. I gave him a camping grill, and then he left me alone. Like, you've you got to make an offer or something, but I'm not—you're you're not going to catch me burning geese in the wilderness. I don't know. There's still too much to cover. The symbolism of owls, staircases in the woods. We're only skimming the surface, boys. Oh, I had a dream about Hat Man once we got to do entire books on this stuff. Let me give you one more thing for your dollars worth. This is a free show. Discovering Bigfoot. I know 90% of those documentaries are hit pieces. This guy lives 40 miles from the nearest civilization. His entire life is finding Bigfoot. And of course it could all be a hoax, but just go check out that documentary. He brings like professors out with him in the woods. Pretty sick got a Lovecraft quote, one of my favorites, to end it. Man's strongest emotion is fear. And man's biggest fear is admitting the unknown. Once you get rid of that safety blanket of what is known and what is unknown, there's no Bigfoot! That's when shit could get really scary. But always remember, there's enough light to combat the dark. Strange Things in the Woods by Stephen Stockton. There it is. I hope you guys enjoy the story mode. We got our June-themed edition coming up next week. Don't miss it. That's basically all from me, patreon.com slash the niche. Great content over there. Got music videos, all kinds of stuff. And hairy shit is where you're going to get your free memes. Let's get a random soundboard effect to end it. Over so soon... Send in any of your anthropologies, because I like these type of short-form stories. Seven short days, I will be back with a brand new book. Nick Munez, signing off. Peace!